Take your Bible and turn to Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 6. This is what the Bible says in Romans 7, 1 through 6. Or do you not know, brothers, for I'm speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law we're at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we're released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, what a glorious morning we have already enjoyed together in your house, God, to join together with all of these that are so excited to be here and to be back together again worshiping you under the preaching of your word, seeing the baptism, singing great songs, confessing a creed that is ancient, that describes our faith from beginning to end, and, and then to just weep and rejoice with Nathan, with his family. And Father, the great work that you've done and will do and will continue until the end of his life. Father, we just want to pause and just praise you. And just thank you. And Father, also, we come to this moment with this passage and this text in front of us. And we so desperately need to understand and know and apply the truth in front of us. Father, that can only happen through you, through your spirit, working in and through your word. So we bow to you and we submit to you all that will be said and pray, God, that you will use it to transform lives in this moment for eternity. It's in your name we pray, amen. We've come to a chapter in our journey through this great letter of Paul to the Romans that causes many within the church to stumble and there's been much ink spilt over just exactly what this chapter, what in this chapter Paul is trying to communicate to us. The key to grasping the entire chapter is verses one through six. If we miss today, then we will be just like so many others. We'll get lost wandering through the details of the rest of chapter seven, trying to understand exactly what Paul means. It's just, it's just not easy. But I don't want you to be discouraged because I believe we can understand it. And I believe if we grab these six verses, it will be a key that unlocks the rest of the truth for us. And we'll see it clearly. 
Remember that Paul has been answering, if you've been with us, he's been answering a question which he posed in 615. And you can look back a page or so in your Bible probably and see this question that he poses in 615. He says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? Remember at the end of chapter 5, he was extolling the fact that we're in Christ now. We're not in Adam any longer. And that sin and death and all of those things have no power over us and we're free. And he says, where, great, where sin abounds, grace abounds so much more. And then in 6.1, he asked the question, so should we sin so that grace can abound? And he answered the question for the next 2 through 14. He answers that question. Certainly not, right? And then 6.15 happens, and some people are tempted to think, oh, he's repeating the question from chapter 6, verse 1. But this is a different question, as Corey told us. 6.15 is saying something completely different. Notice he says, are we to sin because we're not under law, but under grace? See, his question there is not, should we sin so we can get more grace? His question is that since we're free from the law, should we sin? Should we go on sinning? Sinning because we're no longer under the law and we're under this new grace, this new age of the grace of God. And he goes masterfully into an explanation of the beginning of that verse in the verses that follow verse 15. Are we to sin? That, that's really what he was answering from verse 16 until verse 23. Corey preached two sermons on it for us to help us understand it. Paul's teaching a truly radical gospel. He's daring to say that we are not under the law any longer. This leads some to ask the question, so since we're not under the law, because we're not under the law and we're under grace, are we to sin? Paul spent the remainder of that chapter teaching us. And Corey, he's done such a fantastic job over the past two weeks making sure that we understand we are not to live in sin since we're free from the law. But instead... We are to present our members to God for, as slaves of righteousness. Now, there are people in the world, there, there are no people in the world who are free of a master. The Western culture, and sadly, a lot of the church in the West, is lying to you when they tell you you are free. You're not free. No man is free. No person has ever been free. You're either a slave to sin or you're a slave, a bondservant to righteousness. We're all slaves. We're all bondservants. The question is only whether we will be a bondservant of sin, which leads to death, or will we be a bondservant of righteousness, which leads to the fruit of sanctification, which has a gift attached to it, eternal life. So, are we to sin? No. No, we should not sin unless we die. That would be Paul's answer. And that brings us to Paul explaining further what it means to be under grace and not under the law. Are we to sin, that was the beginning of his question, since we are no longer under law but under grace? And he picked up in those following verses to say, we shouldn't go on sinning 
Because if your master is sin, then you will die. But if your master is righteousness, it will lead to sanctification. And sanctification will lead to eternal life. He does this in our passage. He goes one step farther to explain the question in 15, 6.15 by saying, what does it mean to be under law? And what does it mean to be under grace? He wants us to understand that part of the question now. You see what I'm saying? You need to see how this text fits. You get it? 6.15, a heading. He launches off then into a specific dissertation, a teaching on are we to sin. Now he backs up. That's point A in the outline. Now point B. What does it mean to be under law? What does it mean to be under grace? Now he's going to answer that for us in chapter 7. That's what he's going to do. He's going to help us understand it. He wants us to understand that we have a relationship that is now changed. We have a relationship with Christ who is the living God directly to Christ. And because we are in Christ, the law is no longer our master. It's no longer over us in that way anymore. We're free. Let's, let's do this together, okay? First, I want us to see that as long as we live in the old man, we are bound under the law. As long as our old man is alive, we're bound by the law. Paul makes it clear that as long as a person is living in the old man, they cannot escape the law, the requirements of the law, the condemnations that come from the law, the punishment that is due for those under the law. Remember that the beginning of chapter 6 emphasized to us that the fact that the old man, the old nature, we might say, was enslaved to sin. The natural man cannot help but sin because in his very essence, he's a sinner. Sin is not something you do as a, sin, as a lost person outside of Christ. Sin is the essence of who you are. Do away with the thought in your mind that you're going to prove your standing with God by stopping some habit that you have. If you stop every bad habit in your life and you're outside of Christ, you are still bound for a sinner's hell. It's part of the problem. We're not preaching a radical gospel. I want to talk to the young people for a moment. The world is telling you that they have for you an adventurous life that you can live. And that adventurous life will bring you great fulfillment because you'll experience so much radical freedom. And that lie, if you believe it, will enslave you and destroy you. Nathan is not an exception. Every person in this room outside of Christ is a slave to sin. Just like he was a slave to drugs, you are a slave to sin. You're not free. The world is lying to you. The culture is lying to you. And sadly, so many preachers in the pulpits of America are lying to you. You cannot be free from sin as long as you are outside of Christ because you are married to the law and you are due to pay its penalty. Why? Not because of what you do, but because of who you are. I'm so, so moved that we get this. To 
Too many people are going to sit in these pews and die, and they are going to die under the law, and they are going to face God as a judge and not a father. And if you do, you will bust hell wide open. As long as you are alive in the old man, you are on the road to death. And there's nothing you can do about it. You're a slave. And everything that tells you something different is lying. The natural man cannot help but sin because he's in his very essence. He's a sinner, which means that those who are living outside of a real relationship with Christ without union to Christ through the Spirit are living lives of slavery to sin. And they are reaping the fruit of unrighteousness because they are bound to eternal death. As long as the old nature is living, then the power and penalty of the law is over them, which is condemning them before God. And that condemnation is revealed in spiritual and, in the future, physical death. The death, this death is not only in the future. It's not only in the future. But it is having its effect right now in your life. You don't believe me? If you're living outside of Christ today, right now, if you don't have a real relationship with Christ, then you are reaping the harvest of a lack of peace, contentment, fulfillment, satisfaction, purpose. And this comes in the form, this fruit comes in the form of many things, many other things on the surface. The deep heart level problem with you is you have no peace, no contentment, no fulfillment, no purpose. You're at lost in this world if you're outside of Christ. Well, the fruit of that leads to the outward actions that sound like something like this. Covetousness, malice, envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossiping, slandering, hating God, insolence, pridefulness, inventing evil, disobedience to parents, foolishness, faithlessness, heartlessness, ruthlessness, and the approval of all these evil things. The bottom line is that if you are living in the old nature today, outside of a living relationship with Jesus Christ, then you, your life is totally a wreck whether you realize it or not. Dress it up, put makeup on it, parade it around town, it's still a pig. Your life is a pig. It's bound for the slop of this world. And it's wrecking you. And it's wrecking so many others around you. And as long as you live this way, as long as you live this way, listen, you're under the law. That's what he says in verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, those who know the law, both the Jews in this congregation and the Gentiles in this congregation would have known the law. We know the law. That the law is binding on a person as long as he lives. That's what I've been telling you. You're bound. There's nothing you can do about it. So second, the only way, the only way to be free from the law is to die in the old nature and live in the new nature. Which is union with Christ. You want to be free from sin and death? 
and you want to have a new life of freedom, which is bond servitude to the living God through Jesus Christ, then the first thing that has to happen is the old man's got to be dead and the new man has to be alive. Now, now that Paul's explained in the first verse that to be alive in the old nature is to be under the binding effect of the law, he wants to give an analogy from the law of marriage that explains what happens when the old man dies and what happens when the new man lives. Now, this is where it gets complicated, okay? So I'm going to try to boil it down and help us understand. He brings up this idea of marriage here. I want to make something clear about this passage before we go on explaining it. This is an analogy. Paul is using this as an analogy. You see what I'm saying? One mistake people make when they read the Bible is they take an analogy and they press it further than the writer intended. Paul is making a point. What is the point? As long as you are alive, you are what? Bound to the law. Paul is not but launching into a dissertation about marriage. Matter of fact, if he is, he's woefully short. There's not a lot in this passage about marriage and all the things that can happen in a marriage, is there? Right? There's not a lot there. But what he's doing is he's grabbing the content of Deuteronomy 24, which is in the law, the law of divorce and marriage, and he's pulling it over as an analogy to what it means to be alive in the old man and bound to the law. He wants us to understand it. Okay? This passage is not getting into the many situations that might arise in a marriage, nor that might cause the ending of a marriage. And if we try to use the passage this way, then we won't understand the passage the way Paul is using it. That's the first thing. And I know that's a little bit of an explanation, but too many people read this. And I used to read this passage the wrong way. I read this passage. I'm like, well, then this is what it means for all marriage in all situations, all times. That's not what Paul's doing. He's simply taking a living relationship and saying, you are bound as long as you're in the old flesh, the old man, the old nature. As long as you live in that, you are bound to the law. Now, let me tell you what that looks like. It looks like a marriage. As long as the two spouses are living, they are bound by the law. Until one of them dies, they cannot have another marriage. That's what he's talking about here, okay? Now, that's pretty plain in verses 2 through 3 that he's using this as an analogy. He's telling us about a married woman who's bound by the law to her husband as long as her husband lives. But when her husband dies, she's released from the law of marriage. And if she, if she is called, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with anyone besides her husband as long as he lives. So Paul says in verse 4, after giving the analogy in 2 and 3, he says in verse 4 that we, our old nature, has died to the law. This is what he says. Verse 4, likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law. This has been accomplished, he says, in the death of Jesus Christ in the flesh, in his body on the cross. So here's the thing. In the analogy, somebody had to die so the other one's released. The law didn't die. The law is unchanged. So who died? The old man died. Notice what he said. You, likewise, brothers, you also have died. You've died like the husband in the analogy. You've died. But you're still breathing. What's he talking about? Well, he's talking about the old man. 
the old nature. It has died. And now that it's dead, the marriage the old man had to the law, done. Broken. Finished. Since our old man died with Christ on the cross, then we're free to belong to another. I was so tempted. I know I titled it. I, I love this new screen, by the way. But Romans, the new way, 7, 1 through 6. I was so titled, so, so tempted to be provocative with my title and say, Christ is no home wrecker. You're laughing, but it's true. As long as you stay alive in the old man, you're married to the law. Therefore, Christ is not married to you. And you are not married to him. You have another husband. And if he moved in and he began to relate with you, partly under the law and partly under his grace, then he's a homewrecker. And our Lord is far from that. He's a husband. He's the new husband, the new way. That's who our husband is. That's who Christ is. He's not some part-time husband. He's a full-time, all-the-time husband in grace. He's a better husband. He's the best husband. He's the true husband. That's what Paul wants you to know. As long as you live in your old self, obeying the law, relating to God by the law, Christ is outside of you. When you die, the new man is raised, you're free. And he marries it. Oh, man, this is powerful that we have to grasp that under the law, in our sinful flesh, we had no hope. We had no way to fulfill it. We were violators of the law. In our essence, we hated the law and we hated God, and yet we were married to it. You couldn't escape it. Grace Fellowship, we've been set free from life under the law. You who are believers in this congregation, you've been set free from life under the law as your husband. In Christ, that is the reality of what it means to not be under the law. We are now dead to life under the demands of the law, which brought us nothing but condemnation because we were unable to live by the requirements of the law. When you were outside of the new life with Christ, you were living in a terrible marriage. The fact is that your spouse was demanding things of you that you could not deliver. You couldn't do them in your own strength. And the consequence of not doing what was commanded was guilt and shame. And eventually it leads to death. It was a miserable marriage. Christian in here today that is in Christ, can you remember how miserable it was to be outside of Christ? Under the law, feeling the condemnation which brought shame and guilt every moment of every day, really. No matter if you were outwardly happy, inwardly there was this voice of just discouragement and defeat and failure. And you knew that death was coming and you had no way to escape it. The more you tried to make the law satisfied through your woeful attempts of effort and good works, the more the law thundered its disapproval on you. 
The truth is that in this condition, you were completely without hope in the world, alienated from the household of faith, dead in your trespasses and sin. Why were you dead in your trespasses? Because the law was over you and you weren't obeying the law and therefore you were dead in your trespasses. Your sin, you were falling short. Paul says in verse 4 that the sad story was only reversed because the old man died in the body of Christ. You also have died. You also have died, he says, to the law. How? Through the body of Christ. You were crucified with Christ, and it is no longer you who lives, but Christ lives in you. And the life I now live, I live by the Son of God, by faith in the Son of God. You remember those words from Paul? That's his understanding of his life. As long as I was alive in my pharisaical life, I was relating to God under the law, and the more I tried, the more I failed. And the more I failed, the more condemnation, shame, and guilt spread in my life. And it was leading me to death. But then, praise be to God, I was on the road to Damascus. And this bright light shone around me. And the Lord of heaven said to me, how long will you persecute me? And I fell on my face as dead. And it was at that moment that I realized my old man was dead. And I was alive now. I was new. I was in Christ So I went away for three years into the desert and he taught me what it meant to be in this new marriage with him. And I have come preaching a gospel that I did not receive from any man. I received it directly from him and I declare to you today, as sure as I stand here, that Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross, took my old nature with him to the cross and he nailed it to the cross in his flesh. And when his flesh died, my old man died. And when it died, it was buried. And when it was buried, I was set free. Because he was raised from the dead. And when he was raised, I was raised to newness of life. (laughs) Church. So many Christians are living defeated lives because you keep coming to God talking about the do's and don'ts, the cans and can'ts, and all your effort. And God's saying, why do you keep going back to the old marriage? It's over. That man's dead. You have a new life. You have a new husband. Oh, man. His mercy is more. His grace is infinite. His love is abounding. And the depths of his goodness, you can't plumb the depths of it. You'll never reach the bottom. You'll never come to a shore. It's endless and eternal. That is your new life in Christ. Being set free free from sin. That's what we're talking about. How? Because my old man died and now I live in a new marriage. And it's giving me life, satisfaction, and grace. This is what it means to be Not be under law, but under grace. To be in a new marriage. To have a new husband. I'm no longer under the law. I'm under Christ. He says, I belong to another. To him who has been raised from the dead. That's who I belong to now. So when the Satan 
comes to you, Christian, and he thunders to you about the law of God, wait patiently until he's done. And when he stops his attack against you, look him dead in the eye and say, you're bringing up matters which have been sealed in the grave of my Savior. I didn't do it. I failed worse than you could ever imagine. But he kept every point of the law and he has accounted it to me as righteousness. Why do you keep talking about my old husband? That man's dead. The law is gone. Behold, the new has come. You see what I'm saying? Say, oh, these, past, these passages, Carl, you just keep going on. Y'all keep going on about all this theology and all this doctrine. Just tell me how to live. <laughs> live free. Some of you shuddered. Listen to me again. Live free. Live like free men and women. Because if you're married to Christ, you are free. Is that radical? It's true. Too many of you have spent most of your Christian life still married to the law. Bringing it up and bringing it up and bringing it up. And Jesus is like, put it down. Put it down. Put that thing down. If you want to finish what I started in the spirit with the law, you'll fail. And you'll nullify what I've done in my spirit. When you bring up the things which I've already done for you as if you need to do them because you can improve on what I've already done, you're spitting in my face. You're denying the power of my grace. Put the law down. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, freedom, rest, eternal life. That's the description of our life now. Some of us keep trying to go back in a house that is built under the law that brings us nothing but sadness and brokenness and desperation and frustration. And I'm telling you, get yourself out of that house into the place you belong, your new marriage with Christ, and live to the glory of God the Father. Live. It's what it means. It's what he means here. Look what he's saying. In other words, let me say it in another way, which is Paul's way in 622. Listen to what he says in 622. Just listen to these words. But now that you have been set free from sin. Verse 4 in our passage. Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law. Free from sin, died to the law. Those two things go together. Okay? And have become slaves of God in verse 22. Well, in verse 7, what does it say? Through the body of Christ, so that you may no longer live, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead. The fruit you get Verse 22, leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. What does verse 7 say? In order that you may bear fruit for God. You see, what he says in 622 is, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and it's in eternal life. And what he says in verse 7, 4, I mean, chapter 7, verse 4 is, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may be bear fruit for God. 
The fruit of sanctification. Fruit of a free life. Being set free from sin means that we have died to the law and now we are slaves to God because we are married to Christ who has been raised from the dead and is the victor over sin and death. This new union, this new marriage with Christ will bring about sanctification, which is what it means to bear fruit for God. That's what it means. This leads not to death, but to what? What does it lead to, church, when you're sanctified? It leads to eternal life. This is the best understanding of the way Paul is using this analogy of marriage in our text. We have died to the first marriage, which was between the old man, bound to sin, under the law. And the reason we are set free from the first marriage is so that we can belong to a new marriage. This marriage is between our new man and the resurrected Christ. The, first, the fruit of this new marriage will be sanctification that is bathed in love. And finally in this passage, we live our new life in the way of the Spirit. As long as our old nature was living under the law, its sinful passions were being stirred up towards sin, which leads to death. That's what he says in verse 5. For while we were living in the flesh, in this old man, in this old nature, our sinful passions... Our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. I don't want to spend much time here, and I know you're glad for that, because it will be detailed over the next verses. But suffice it to say that as long as we live in the flesh, we are living in relationship to the law and its dominant rule over us. As long as we live in the flesh. This means that every person before coming to Christ is either working to fulfill the law in your own strength or you are rebelling against the law in an attempt to make yourself free from the requirements of the law. Everyone is either a lawkeeper or a rebel against the law. Every person outside of Christ is either a gnomist, which means they look at the law and they say, I can do it. Or you're an antinomist, which means the law's there, I do not. I'll live my own way. But either way, you are relating to God through the law. Every single person outside of Christ, whether they've ever heard the Decalogue or they have not, they know that it's there, they know that it's true, and they are either trying to live in keeping of it to make themselves acceptable to God, which is religion, or they are irreligious, antinomians who say, the law's there, I can't do it, and I won't even try, I'm going to live my own way. So you thought when you were being an antinomian before you came to Christ, when you were denying the law and living a wild and careless life out there in the world full of drugs, sex, rock and roll, dating women that cuss, swear, drink, dip. I had to throw that in there for all of us country folk. You thought when you were living that way, you of all people were free from the law. But here's the thing. The very fact that you were saying, what do my parents want me to do? Okay, I'll do what I want to do. What is it that my wife is requiring of me? Well, I'll show her. I'll do it my own way. You're relating to God through the law. Your rebellion is a witness to the fact that the law exists. You can't escape it. You can't escape it, okay? Everyone was relating to God either through the law or through the one 
you are either relating to God right now, either through the law or, listen to this, catch this, or through the one who kept and fulfilled the law. You're either relating to him directly through the law or through a mediator who has kept the law on your behalf. You choose. Choose this day whom you will serve. Choose. And I hope you don't choose the law or the denial of the law because if you do, you die. But if you choose the one who has kept the law fulfilled in every point and now gives his righteousness to you as a gift, you will live. You live. The fruit of living under the law and having our sinful passions aroused by the law is eternal death. Every time the law tells me to do something, I either try and fail or I stop trying and go my own way. And therefore, I'm guilty there. So I can't do anything but die. But let's leave that alone because I'm not going to preach on that right now. We got 7 through 25 to talk about that. Look at Paul's new addition to what we've been saying. Listen to what he says. But now, verse 6, we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. See, the law didn't die, we died. We died to it. It's still there, but we died to it. So that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not the old way of the written code. Now again, this is one of those header verses. Seven, uh, seven five through six. Verse five, Paul's going to explain it in seven, seven through 25. And verse six, he's going to explain it in Romans eight, one through 13. It's a header. See how logical a letter is? Sometimes we get preaching little parts of it, we forget the whole. Paul knew what he was doing. He's saying, hey, here's another point. Now I'm going to tell you what point A is and point B is. It's right there for us. All right, so we, we, we have died to the law, and now we're alive in Christ. Again, Paul is going to go into these details a little later, but let me just explain this new way. I mean, that is the title. That's been behind me this whole time. And you're thinking, can you please just tell us, what is this new way? Well, I'm glad you asked. And this is what I want to close on. Paul adds in verse 6 something so important to our life. This new union in Christ is characterized by the new way of the Spirit. What's he talking about? That's what I spent a lot of time thinking about. What is he talking about? How can I help us understand this? Well, thankfully, Paul wrote extensively about this. And so let me just read one passage for you about this way of the Spirit. Just listen to me. Turn your ears on right here. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6. This is what Paul says. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. When Paul uses the phrase in our passage, the new way, it's helpful for us to see this as the same as when he says in 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 6, ministers of a new covenant, a new way, a new covenant, not the letter, but the spirit. The freedom we have gained from the law 
is a freedom which always leads us to being married to a new way. The new covenant through the Spirit. It's helpful for us to look back at the old covenant right here really quickly and understand this new covenant. That what's Paul talking about? In Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, we find the classic text in the Old Testament describing for us the coming day of a new covenant. Listen to the word of God promised to us through Jeremiah. Behold, with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant, I've made a new covenant, I'm sorry. I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. So often we're emphasizing in a good, this is good, a unity between the old and the new covenant. But texts like this help us understand there is unity, but there is disunity. You see what he said right there? I'm making a new covenant with my people. And it's not like the one I made with their fathers. It's different. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband. There it is. I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law over them, in them. Not under the law, under grace. Why? Because the law is in us. He's put the law in us. I will put the law in them, and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity. I will remember their sin no more. In this passage, we're told that the people of God under the new way, the new covenant, the way of the Spirit, number one, have the law written on their hearts. It's internal, not external. It's spiritual, not physical. Two, they have a living relationship with God as their God. I will be their God and they will be my people. And third in this passage, he says, he will forgive and forget our sins. And not only roll them forward for the coming day when he will finally pay for them. No, in the new covenant, he pays for the sin and forgets it. Removes it as far as the east is from the west. Under the old covenant, sin just got moved one year next and one year the next and one year the next. Why? Because they were looking for the new covenant. But brothers and sisters, we live in this new covenant. Our sin, when we are in Christ, is forgiven and forgotten. Ezekiel eleven nineteen through 21. The new covenant is described this way. And I will give them one heart and a new spirit, a new man. I will put within them. I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them. And they shall be my people and I will be their God. Here we add to the things we've already said about the new covenant. We add to it this. That God will give the people of the new covenant a heart of flesh after he removes their heart of stone. This is intentional by Ezekiel and the Holy Spirit. What was the old law written on? Tablets of stone. I will remove that. And I will put in this place a heart of flesh. Of life. A thriving, beating heart for me. Because my heart beats for them. They're my people. 
This indicates that the people of the new covenant are in a living and passionate relationship with God. And this is the motivation of obedience. It's not the threat of punishment that brings his people to keep the law. But rather, it is the living relationship they have with their God that leads them to pursue and walk in God's commandments. Catch this. Some of us need to know this. The threat of the law is not what inspires you to obedience. What inspires you to obedience is how much you are loved by Jesus Christ, who is the God of heaven and earth. Are we to sin because we're not under the law but under grace? How can you live that way, Paul would say? Your husband, Jesus Christ, do you not know how much he loves you? And do you not want to live with him right now? If you do, he is ready and able to keep you and to make good on the promise he made to you until the day of judgment. Hey, we're in this new relationship, it says, and that is a heart made in the image of our Savior. We want to obey, not because of the threats of the law, but because of the love of the Savior. Later in Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27, we read this. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. This is the final piece of the puzzle for us to understand. How is it that we live in the new way? By the spirit. See, in the text, he says, I will give you a new spirit. And then he says, I will put my spirit in them. He gives us the new life in Christ, and he empowers that new life with his very presence. His spirit. It's with us. It's in us. God promised in Ezekiel to give a new heart after removing our old heart. And even more glorious than that, God promised to give us his very self in his spirit. It is the unity we have in Christ because we have his spirit living within us that causes us to obey his commands and walk in his statutes. And this is what Jesus meant when he said, if you love me. He didn't say, if you fear me. He didn't say, if you're so scared that if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you're so scared, then you'll do what I say. Listen, what does he say? If you love me, you will keep my commands. This is how you know that you are mine. You do what I've told you to do. Why? Because I'm your friend. Because I'm with you. Because you long to be with me. How do we know that we're living in the new covenant? That these passages that we're, I'm just reading to you are passages that speak to us. Well, listen to what the Lord said as he was in the upper room with his disciples celebrating the first communion of the saints. He says this, and he took bread and he gave it to, thanks for it. He broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten saying, this cup is poured out for you. And it is the new covenant 
in my blood. Why is it so painful to see myself and you see yourself living in the old way? Well, because it's denying the power of the very one who died to give us the new way. Christian, when you go back to relating to God with a list of do's and don'ts, according to the law, when you relate to him that way, like you have a heart of stone and you got to etch out good works so he'll accept you, just understand when you do that, he loves you, but you're losing your fellowship with him because he's not moving in that old house. That old house is gone. There's a new house. There's an old house and a new house and quit going in the old house. Quit going over there. Christian, would you live under the law as if you were still under the law? You are denying the power of Jesus Christ in the work of the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? That so many times you think it's the threats that keep you. And I'm telling you, it's his love that keeps you. Howdy gets it. She's with me. It changes your life, doesn't it, Heidi? It changes our motivations. It changes the way we see the world. It changes the way we see others around us. It changes our homes because we treat our husband or wife this way. It changes our homes because it's how we relate to our children. If God, who is infinitely good and wise and holy, can relate to me a sinner in the new way, then certainly I can parent my children in the new way. Rather than thundering at them with threats of disaster. Spur them on to obedience through love. With open arms. Praising their good. And building up and rebuking those things which need rebuking. But with the promise of relationship. It changes everything about us. Changes everything about us. Because those who have been forgiven will forgive. And those who have been loved will love this way and so we bring this thing to a close I'm going to land this plane right here what Paul has just laid out for us is so radical and so so life altering and changing that every apostle who preached this very gospel was killed for preaching this very gospel. So in here, in, in the moment where we're all gathered together and we're all like being lifted up and we're all feeling the power of the Spirit, understand, when you live this way, the world will hate you because it hated him. You cannot avoid persecution and rejection and heartbreak and pain and trials and sufferings when you live in the new way. You can't avoid it because they hated him. They put him on trial. They physically persecuted him. They rejected him. They mocked him. They ostracized him and put him outside the camp. So Grace Fellowship, let us be those who now that we're in this new way, in this new covenant, driven by and empowered by the Holy Spirit, 
Let us go outside the camp with him. Let us go outside the camp with him, church. Let's don't look at our Savior outside the camp and say, well, if I could just not identify for this moment, I'll escape. If I just don't identify, I'll keep this friendship. I'll keep this, this job. I'll keep this status in school. I'll get the promotion. I'll be getting the pay raises. Let's just deny it. It won't hurt anything. He's out there. Let's stay in here where it's safe. No, let us go out there with him. And if it costs our jobs, it costs our jobs. If it costs our friendships, it costs our friendships. If it means that you face physical persecution, political suppression, whatever it means, go outside the camp and identify with your husband. Don't seek security and safety in this world, church. By making your life look good on the outside. Living according to the letters of law so people think, oh, what a great person. He's so good. No. May it never be. Let us go outside with him. Let him ridicule. Let him hate us. Let him say, I don't know what kind of love that is, but whatever kind of love that is, it threatens my very existence. Because in doing it, there will be those whom he loves who he will call outside the camp with you. He will bring them to you. Stop trying to be like them and be like him. And when he works in their life and saves them and puts them in the new marriage with him, y'all will be brothers and sisters, not just surfacey friends. That's the meaning of a passage like this. It changes our practical life. We don't need sermons about being better Christians Better husbands, better employees, better and better and better. We need sermons that say you are dead and now you're alive in Christ. So run outside the camp and live with him. Live with him, church, so that you will never die. Let's pray.